Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, November 26th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. And if you get it today, it'll be in your hands before the holiday starts. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hi. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. With us today, we have a very special guest joining us. Chip Science here. We have way, way too many Broadway credits to be talking about here, but some of my favorite Grand Hotel falsettos. Uh, we have also that it should have been you. I want to talk about it should have been you. I loved it. Carolina Chains. And of course, currently on Broadway, starring in Harmony right now. Chip, thank you for getting up on a Sunday morning and talking with us at Broadway Radio. Yeah, nice to, nice to be here. I'm, I'm waking up. With you. <laughs> First off, uh, the name Chip. Um, is it one that you had since you were a little boy? Um, obviously, you predated Beauty and the Beast, so we know you didn't get it there. <laughs> so uh, what's the story behind the Chip? You, you know what? Um, I, I've, I've always been called Chip. I have no idea. My real name is Jerome. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I never actually knew how that came about and I asked my dad when we were all a little too old to be asking that question and he said to me uh he said to me chipper I don't remember why we call you that (laughs) 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 that was the story I I once told my agent that I wanted to change my name um I said I want to call myself Jerome Zion and he said no it's the Zion that's killing you change the Zion (laughs) Well, you know what? Um, since you brought that up, I've always wondered: uh, wouldn't that name actually be pronounced Zine? Well, very interesting question that I get all the time uh, over these past fifty years. Um, you know, I think it's just spelled wrong. Uh, oh, I, I, okay. I think I think the original intention was probably Z I O N. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, somebody couldn't read sense. somebody's handwriting. I, I I think that was the origin of it. But um, gotcha. I don't know that either. But yes, it's been a problem. I, I you know a lot of people. Uh, I was in a, a, a show called The Night of on HBO, and one of the reasons I got hired was that they thought I was I was part Chinese because <laughs> ah. they thought it was chip. <laughs> Non-traditional casting, yeah. Yeah, so so uh, uh, there's been all kinds of weird things about that. <laughs> well, you talk about being, um, you mentioned 50 years, and uh, I have to say that I've been a fan for 45 of them since I saw you in, in trousers at Playwrights Horizon. Oh um, w- quite a cast, too. I mean, really, the fact that three of you out of the four uh, have really had careers is really something. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, this was a William Finn musical. And um, 
Chip was in it with Mary Testa and Allison Frazier. Yeah. And uh, the three of you have done so well over the years. But uh, I remember a friend just said to me, I hear in trousers is good. I went, I paid my $3, literally. That's how much tickets were. And I uh, went in and um, I was just enthralled with all all of you and the music. Um, whoa. Uh, I hope you liked it as much as I did. Uh, in trousers, I loved in trousers. I think it's one of Billy's, uh, with uh, Bill Finn's wildest uh, and sort of original uh, product, uh, uh, raw product of his imagination. And I, some of us, I know Allison, and I feel that you know it's some of his very best music because it's so wild. I totally and, agree. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I love it. There was a the critic in the New York Times in those days was Richard Eder, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did not like it. And uh, I've always thought that if, and then Frank Rich came in Mm -hmm. uh, when we did March of the Falsettos, which was just a couple years later. Mm -hmm. My dog is choking. I hope you can't hear that. Well, go somewhere else. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Have to make sure the dog's okay. (laughs) Yeah, he's okay. So, so, um, uh, you know, Frank Rich came in uh, two years later and we did March of the Falsettos upstairs at Playwrights Horizons and we were doing like midnight shows. And I, I don't know, it was like working at 2 a.m. in the morning. Crazy, sh- you know, an audience of 70 people if we were lucky. And um, and Frank Rich loved March of the Falsettos. I often think if Frank Rich had come two years earlier, we, uh, Bill's Finn would have, Bill Finn's career would have been... Yeah. Uh, might have started a little more dramatically at that moment, but uh, I I love in trousers and I love that album that, oh, that me too. was made and yeah so yeah about you know that I met Bill Finn at the that's how I met him uh, and he he told me to, he was so weird have you ever met Bill uh, oh you, yeah oh yeah. <laughs> So he's uh, tall, lanky, and as he got older, he got a little heavier, but he's very tall and um, odd. And he told me that uh, in those days, I sang Jackie from Jacques Brel is my audition oh, piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he said, I'm so tired of hearing that song. I don't want to hear that anymore. Sing something <laughs> wow. else. And uh, <laughs> and stand on the piano. That was the he wanted me to climb up on the piano bench on top of the piano. And I thought like, this is, this is, I have no idea what's going on here, <laughs> but um, that was my, that was my initial uh, meeting with Bill Finn, who, who directed in trousers, mm-hmm. uh, which was also a, just a hell of an experience. <laughs> so. uh, Chip, one of our listeners uh, asked uh, if you stay in touch with the original cast of In Trousers. Uh, Joanna Green seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. Do you know anything? Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I stay in touch with uh, Joanna too a little bit. Um, we basically connected on you know social media on Facebook and stuff. She, she moved uh, out of New York and she teaches and directs and. Uh, you know, she she's having a wonderful life somewhere outside of New York. And, and Allison and Mary and I are, you know, have remained close mm-hmm. throughout the years. Tell me about the Into the Woods experience. Um, they were, um, did you get uh, called in for it? Did you uh, say to your agent, I've got to have this part? Well, I, you, you know, um, it start. I was doing Merrily We Roll Along in La Jolla. We we did. I was in this first production um, after the show had been on Broadway, 
Right. It's a, a reworking of Merrily, um, a great, also just a phenomenal experience. But, you know, it, it happened that, you know, Bill Finn brought in Lapine for March of the Falsettos, and then Lapine <clears throat> took me with him to do Merrily We Roll Along in La Jolla. I mean, it was a whole sequence. Um, what happened was, for Into the Woods, was that uh, I th- I thought we might bring Merrily in. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I was, um, I went to a, um, James Lapine and Sarah, his wife had invited uh, my wife and I out to, uh, uh, to spend the day in the country at their country house. And I guess it was 19, it would have been 86. And, uh, and when I got out of the car, James said to me, he said, yeah, we're not going to do Merrill. He said, I just, I, I, I've moved on. And, mm. uh, the guy almost fainted. The color drained from my face. <laughs> I said, you're kidding. He said, no, no, I'm working on, I'm working with Steve. And I thought, Steve, Steve. Oh, I mean, Sondheim. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he said, we've got another show that we're doing. Uh, it's, uh, we're going to call it, I think, into the woods. And, um, he showed me, he, he remember in the old days, we had these, uh, computers called Capros. That yeah, were, yeah, I had one. That, yeah, that had little four-inch black and white screens, and they they claimed to be portable, but they were actually they weighed like a hundred pounds. They were heavy. Yeah, they were heavy. Um, yeah. And Lapine had a Capro, and he she said, "Yeah, here, look, I'll show you a few pages of Into the Woods." And what I remember seeing was a scene that had little animals and people running around in the forest, uh-huh. and and I was initially upset because I thought, "Why is he talking about?" little animals in the forest <laughs> when we've just done this great show in La Jolla, what are we doing? Let's, you know, hmm. um, and then, you know, he was writing versions of into the woods. James was, and, and, um, uh, I got a TV series and, uh, you know, one morning I got a phone call from Ira Weitzman who was producing all the shows at uh, playwrights at that time. And, he said, you know, James Lapine's about to call you because he would like you to uh, fly in from L.A. and audition for Into the Woods. And 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 Ira said to me, he said, but don't do it. <laughs> I said, <laughs> what do you mean? He said, if you come back here, he said, they're so confused. They don't know who to cast. They don't know what who they want. They if you come back, they'll, you know, they'll have you read something and then they'll decide they don't want you. He said, my suggestion is don't come back because at the moment you're their first choice. Uh-huh. And uh, a few minutes late, and he said, trust me. And I said, this is, <laughs> this is complicated because I really want to do it. Yeah. And Lapine called me and, and a few minutes later and he said, hey, listen, you know, can you fly back? We need, we, Steve and I want to see you. Uh, but we'd like to hear you read some of these lines. And, uh, and I said, Oh, I can't because of my shooting schedule here in LA. I can't get back. I'd love to get back. You know, I, I really want to do that. And he said, Oh, God, I don't know what to do. And then a few days later, he said, I, you know, we don't have anybody else. We'll hire you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sweet. And that's how nice, it came nice about. Nice to feel wanted. That's yeah. No, that, that was it. And not only that, when I came back, I did, you know, I came back a few days late because of that shooting schedule in LA and, so they had already been rehearsing for a few days and we did a very quick run through and the first run through did not go well. And, uh, Lapine was upset about 
some things that I was doing. And, and then uh, the next day he said, you know what? I'm, I'm totally wrong. I love it. This is great. This is going to be great. And it was, that's, that's what happened. Did you lose any interesting material along the way? Did I lose? Yes. Uh huh. I had a great, you, you mean things that were cut out of the show? Yeah. No, I lost it. I, I had my favorite scene. I, I had a scene that I just loved. This was by the time he got back to Broadway. Uh, and Bernadette was in the show. And and uh, there was also there were issues about, uh, you know, there, as there always are of shaping the show. And uh, Lapine came up to me and he said, you know, we're going to cut uh, the, the Little Red Riding Hoods. So I had a scene where. After I got Little Red Riding Hood out of the uh, out of uh, the fox's uh, stomach, um, the question came. Uh, the The baker's wife asked me, uh, Joanna asked me, "Why? Wh- uh, we, what do we do with her?" And I said, <laughs> basically, my sense of that my my lines in that scene were essentially, "I don't care. I don't want her living with us." Uh. And they were some of the best laughs I got in the show. I just, it was just, <laughs> I love the scene. It was like, I was completely, I did not want her. Uh, I, I, I didn't want anything more to do with Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> and, and, uh, that was the scene. And it was really, honestly, it was one of my favorite scenes in it. And it got cut. On the other hand, did yeah. something get added during, um, the time out in California, uh, well, before going to Broadway? Well, I mean, oh gosh, I, you know, there were so many moments. I mean, um, going through the whole process of, of putting that show together, you know, the first was that, uh, when the, when we first started rehearsing in New York to, to go to the old globe, uh, the, the, the song no more hadn't been written mm-hmm. wow. and, uh, you know, this beautiful thing. And then, you know, and S- Steve came in one day with uh, the old fashioned sort of a musical manuscript paper that, and there were pages and pages of it, and he fold, unfolded it all on the piano, and he sang no more. And uh, I mean, that was just unbelievable. And he had sure. set it in, in my key. You know, uh-huh. it just was an amazing. I'm standing there with Paul Gemignani and Tom Aldrich, who was a lovely, lovely man, and we all just sat there and cried. We were three grown men crying. And then when we got to um, the old globe out in California, we, we didn't have uh, no one is alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that came into the show and it was a similar experience where uh, we went into the basement of the old globe. And, and uh, again, you know, Steve sat down and played this magnificent song and it just, you know, I just couldn't believe, I mean, I, I kept thinking I'm from Milwaukee. <laughs> what am I doing here? I mean, how have I, <laughs> how has this happened? Uh, you know, uh, and it, it just was, uh, you know, it's hard to wrap your mind around it because it just, it's such an iconic moment. And you're watching this, one of our masters of the 20th century uh, and watch him perform his own song hot off the press. And that is just an experience that I wish everyone could have. It was just amazing. So how does a boy from Milwaukee get interested in uh, musical theater? Well, as much as you could have like a stage mother in Milwaukee, ah. uh, 
that uh-huh. would my mom was that person i i you know the thing was um when i was young uh i have an older sister barbara who uh is four years older than me and for her birthday um they would give my sister uh broadway shows like uh, recordings of oklahoma uh-huh. and, mm-hmm. and um Barbie wasn't a, a, that interested in it, but but I found that I was, and I would mm-hmm. learn all the songs. And I, also at the time, I was I was a, a boy soprano, and uh, so I would I, I I started to sort of learn these Broadway songs, and I would also get hired. And I don't even remember how it all started, but I you know it had something to do with singing in the school choir and people. You know, the cantor at my synagogue was connected to the University of Wisconsin and their music department. And when they did oratorios, uh, mm-hmm. I would get hired. Um, Mendelssohn's Elijah, I, these different oratorios. I would get hired to be the boy soprano. And I have mm-hmm. to say that, you know, I was somewhat embarrassed about it. Uh, but I also remember thinking at the time, there's no note too high. <laughs> ah. I, I, that this is amazing, and I don't know why I can do that, but I can do it, and and uh, <laughs> so I started singing, and um, and my mom would take me to auditions. I was in South Pacific. I played uh, the character's name is Jerome, the little boy who sings Detem. Yeah, Walker, that's right. Just Kwan, like you, just Jerome. like me, and. Um, so I had that, but when I went to college, uh, I was really thinking I, I really was going to go to law school. I, I wasn't really going to act. And eventually, it's a long story, but eventually I found myself, I'd gone to school out east. I went, I had a stepsister who was running a um, a, a little theater in West Dundee, Illinois, and uh Someone got sick, and so I decided to go there and take a year off from going to my first year of law school. Wow. And then that place burned down to the ground, and wow. you know, one thing led to another, and I found wow. myself in New York. And <laughs> I actually reapplied to law schools for the first five years of my career. <laughs> and I finally got a letter wow. from the University of Wisconsin, which was the, uh, you know, uh, the the last school to continue to accept me as the years went on. And they wrote me a letter that said, we've begun to doubt your sincerity. Uh, ah. if, you, if you want to pursue a career in the law, you have to show up, uh, up and explain to us where you've been. And, and uh, <laughs> that was the end of my luck. I, I, I never showed up and that was the end of it. But, you know, I, I was very, I got, when I came to New York, I got very lucky right away. I ended up in a production of Charlie Brown, uh, you know, I got a television commercial. Yeah, it, it just, I was, you know, suddenly I was in the union. I was meeting uh, other actors. Uh, you know, it, I was very lucky right away. And I don't think anyone now that, you know, I was completely untrained, really. And I think now that could never happen. Um, most of the kids come from conservatories and mm-hmm. acting schools, and they've been serious about it for years. But I was sort of, floating and i got very lucky yeah going back to a merrily we roll on for a minute charlie kringus must have been such a great role for you i you know um 
I, I, I think of it, it will, it, that production was so much fun because we were all in a great mood out there in La Jolla. Um, we, we got our notes from James who, you know, Lapine, uh, on that beautiful beach that's in La Jolla that's very shallow and goes out forever. You can walk out into the ocean and, Michael Starobin was uh, conducting and I have home movies of Michael Starobin dancing in the sunset in shallow water. <laughs> and uh, it, we just, John Rubenstein, Heather McRae, yeah. uh, Marin Maisie and her very first um, job oh. right out of school. And she was unbelievable. And, and John and I and, and, and Heather are such close friends also to this day. And it just was a, a, a an incredible experience. And getting to sing, you know, Franklin Shepard, Inc., the typewriter song, <laughs> mutter, 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 <laughs> and doing all that. And, you know, um, I, it was it was a phenomenal experience. And, yes, one of the best roles I've ever been able to play. And I love doing it. And, I, I, yeah, I've always regretted that I didn't get to do it here. But I, we loved it. Yeah, there have been some great Charlie Kringuses beginning yeah. with Lonnie Price and and Carly Daniel Radcliffe, but I would have loved to see you do it. Well, you know, Lonnie and I are very, we're, are, you know, we're really good friends, sure. and uh, you know, yeah, I just, I just think in my head it was one of the best things I ever did, and um, the material's so great, and. You know, I didn't have a problem with the show going backwards. <laughs> that was the, I did not uh, see. I did not see that as a problem. Me either. <clears throat> um, Harmony is uh, certainly a musical that's been around for a while. When were you first aware of it, and did you ever think that you would be in it? Well, you know what? Uh, I, I was not aware of it, and and now that I know what I know, I'm actually very upset. <laughs> that, that I hadn't been considered, uh, uh, you know, 20 years ago when I was younger. And, and uh, well, maybe even then I was too old to play actually the harmonist. But, but you know, I, I was sitting at, um, I was actually sitting next to Danny Burstyn at, at, at Camelot. We were, happened to be sitting next to each other. And, uh, you know, Danny turned to me and he said, what are you up to? And I said, I'm doing Harmony. It's a show that's written by uh, Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman and, he said, yeah, I know. <laughs> he said, I did it. Yeah, I did it at La Jolla. And he said, and I met Rebecca. I met my wife doing harmony. And then, and then I found out that Janet Metz was in it, who was of course in falsettos. And, you know, I thought like, wait a minute, where was I during all this time? I'm, you know, <laughs> um, but that was after I, but what, what, what happened was is that I had decided I, sh I should stop playing um, uh, uh, basically Jewish men in their seventies. And, uh, <laughs> and I had said to my agent, because I just finished a, a movie that no, but that, that hasn't done that well, but it was where I played like a rabbi and, um, and, uh, you know, I said to my agents, I said, is there something more, you know, that I, I mean, is there, can we kind of break the mold here? <laughs> you know? And, um, and then they they called me one day and they said, we've got this script called Harmony. It's written by Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman. And I said, uh, yeah, but we've talked about this. They said, no, no, no. Please take a look at this. 
<laughs> please look at this. So they sent me the script and I thought like, oh, this is unbelievable. And then um, eventually uh, Barry called me. Uh, Barry Manilow called me and he, I, I you know, he said, uh, you know, Chip, I've seen you, all these things that you've done. And I, I was shocked that he knew me. You know, it was like, you're kidding. <laughs> and then I had a long talk uh, on Zoom with uh, Warren Carlyle. And um, and we did a workshop almost about two years ago now. And uh, and that's what happened. I, I just... Uh, I again, it's just it's it's like that something so wonderful comes along at this point in one's career is just amazing. I mean, I, you know, uh, it's a gift, and um, it you know, it's one of the uh, have I ever had a, a it's a great role. If it, have I ever had a better role? I don't know, but it's certainly up there mm-hmm. with um, all the my favorite things that I've done, and I, I view this at this stage in my life is just an enormous gift. Well, speaking of that La Jolla production, our friend Josh Ellis uh, was the publicist for that. And he just recently posted a photo of the original cast. And it's kind of amazing because uh, in addition to the people you mentioned, there was Stephen Goldstein, uh, Patrick Wilson, yes, uh, yes. Jason Upsall, Mm -hmm. who died tragically very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny, Stephen Goldstein, uh, Tom Christopher Warren, and James Clo, and yes. then uh, Rebecca and Janet Metz. Right. right. Uh, and in the ensemble, apparently, Casey Nicola. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's what I heard. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, the persistence that uh, Bruce and Barry have had through the years, mm-hmm. kind of amazing. And the fact that they, you know, they put in this, they added this part somewhere along the line, I think. At the point at which Warren Carlyle got involved, I think they were looking for a way that uh, some sort of device to uh, to figure out how to focus a little more, mm. focus the show. And they hit on this idea of having um, an older rabbi and the sort of the last surviving member of the group. And I, I mean, you know, there's so much luck in showbiz. And, and this is an example of it that it somehow it lands on, in, uh, on me. It, it's just. <laughs> unbelievable really good for you yeah peter you were gonna say yeah um the big 11 o'clock number uh did that come early in the gestation is that something that fit had been in harmony all along or did they write it for you once they saw what you were going to be in it and what you, you could do it's my understanding that uh it was there mm-hmm. uh, maybe not quite as developed as it is now uh, you know, it was terrifying to learn to learn it. I'll bet. <laughs> I, at some point um, in that workshop I mentioned that we did bef- uh, like two years ago before the uh, off-Broadway production at the, at the uh, folks being down, down in Battery mm-hmm. Park. Uh, Warren said to me, we're in the rehearsal room and he said, Chip, how much of Threnody do you know? And um, I said, well, I. He said, just, just do the best you can. Take a stab at it. And I was horrified. I remember, I said, I, you know, it, it's very complicated musically and, you know, and, 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 and being in, in tune with the, um, the piano, you know, the, the pianist who's playing it. And it's very complicated. And I was, I was just terrified. And I sang through the whole song. And the cast, God bless them all, <laughs> just cheered. 
and uh, were incredibly supportive for someone who was really not doing it very well. But, you know, it's been one of the things that, that really helped me was that Barry recorded the song, the whole song himself. I, I have like 38 clips of everything I do in the show sung by Barry Manilow. <laughs> and, uh, but he sang all the way through Threnody, which was really helpful because uh, it's hard to describe now, but the, the, all the ins and outs of it are complicated. How did they fit into the music? And that he gave me a roadmap that was uh, invaluable. And uh, so that helped. And, um, you know, it looms up uh, because it comes late in the show, as you know. And mm. I think like, uh, uh, gosh, I, I hope I don't run out of gas in mid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it, It's it, fun it, to see you as, uh, go ahead. <laughs> no, it, 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 uh, again, it's like, I mean, come on, I'm, I'm standing on a Broadway stage with a follow spot, like, you know, I mean, it's every actor's dream. <laughs> I just read a quote from uh, John Kander, a very recent quote. Um, he was talking about um, that. He, uh, that it was, uh, he said basically that it's harder to write a conventional musical in his mind than a more complicated one. And what he said was, uh, I mean, I think this certainly applies to Harmony. He says, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. That's actually one of the hardest things to write. But if you're writing about a not very talented girl living in Berlin in 1929 and her <laughs> bisexual boyfriend during the rise of Nazism, <laughs> you've got lots to write about. If you write about nine guys in a prison cell in Alabama trying to save their lives when they're accused of something they didn't do, you've got lots to write about. People thought some of our shows were the dumbest ideas, but it seemed very clear to us that all the material was really rich. So um, it seems to me, Chip, that you I don't think you've done one conventional musical. Um, uh, so I was wondering uh, your thoughts on that quote. Yeah, you know, that's I've done sort of. Um, I used to call them boutique musicals or sort of <laughs> strange, you know, I, most of the musicals I, yeah, I mean, are, are unusual, uh, in some way. And, um, I, again, it had to do with, for me, it had to do with relationships. I mean, I was very lucky to attach myself to Playwrights Horizons, which, and Billy Finn, and which led to so much, but I was, you know, in Sondheim, I mean, my God, you know, uh, uh, so, and I, yeah, I feel that, well, I was, I, when I heard that Barry Manilow had written a show called Harmony, and my first reaction was, uh, well, what's that? What is that? What could that be? <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I came up with the phrase, uh, you know, Hupa Cabana. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and, uh. And I think Barry's written a uh, just a, a great score. I love the score. I mean, it's gorgeous music with great tuneful, you know, sort of period appropriate um, a st a style that's appropriate. And uh, and you know, it, it was Bruce Sussman who discovered the story when he saw a documentary about the harmonists. And you know, and I think the show works on like two levels because I think you know it's about six guys who are phenomenal singers 
and and in our show they're also you know dancing their their butts off and then they're funny and you know uh they're great but at the same time we're uh they were witness to the uh the a, a slide in germany from a democracy into fascism a fascist dictatorship which we all know is one of the most grotesque things that's happened in our in world history and um so it's not it's about the harmonists and it's and and they were in showbiz which is always kind of fun uh but it's also about the fact that you know we were witnesses to something horrible but that's something we need to think about and something that's kind of happening now or mm. worry about it mm-hmm. um i forgot what the question was oh interest a different boy meets girl well, it's just a you know uh, complicated, um, rich musicals as opposed to conventional yeah. ones. And, and I think, like you know, I mean, falsettos and its you know was you know kind of revolutionary in its time, and the fact that Bill wrote it and then taught at NYU, I think he redirected the kinds of things that people write musicals about. Yeah, and 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 Lapine's you know has it has that kind of mine too so he you know he writes a show like into the woods which you think is going to be conventional and then it has a second act that just goes off the you know that just becomes uh, something really much more important and um and i've been yeah i've been so lucky to participate in in that and that has become kind of my career i i would have wanted to but i you know i never got hired to play good speed uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I think the musicals I've done have been of a certain style. So I think that's accurate. And I, I, you know, years ago, I, um, my wife had been in the New York city ballet and was friendly with, um, John Kander's partner in our, in the early days of, of, of our, of my relationship with my wife. And we, we lived nearby and we used to have dinner at uh, John Kander's house a lot. And, um, uh, he, you know what a great human being he is and i i when he was writing the original version of chicago he would play that for me you know after dinner when we sat around the piano wow he would play and sing all the songs Amazing. of chicago so that you know I mean, he, yeah, and his stuff is, you know, it's just, I just love it. You've been very successful about going back and forth between the West Coast and the East Coast, uh, and the film and television industry and, and Broadway. Uh, do you have any words of wisdom for, uh, actors out there that are, are trying to do the same? I, I always, I had, I kind of had hoped I had done, better in film and television at, at each time i would get a series or you know i would think well this is great and uh you're suddenly i was you know i had kids and i'm suddenly making more money than i knew about and um but then they didn't last and the, they pulled the plug i i i i i don't i don't know what to say to people i mean I think if my, my wife had been in the New York City Ballet, I think at one point, if we hadn't been together, I might have moved to L.A. and I would have had a completely different life. And maybe I wouldn't have liked it as much. I I, I don't know. I, I, I love what I've been able to do on Broadway. And uh, and I think of that as my home. 
I, I don't, I, you know, LA's, I, I had a good, I liked going to LA. Uh, if I had ended up living there, I don't, you know, I would go back and forth a lot. Yes. I, I mean, the last series I did that really was for two years was a show called Almost Perfect in the mid nineties. That's a long time ago. And, um, I thought that was, I thought that show was going to last for, you know, 10 years. I, I, we, we were, when it started, it was CBS's uh, top rated new show. And then, uh, we went to the upfronts here in New York and I had drinks with, uh, a guy who was the head of CBS at the time, Peter Tortorisi. And he said, Chip, this is where, this is, you know, it's gold. I mean, this is the show. You're the comic, uh, you're going to be the comic center of the show. This is a, this is big. And I, I got the next day I got up in the morning and I bought the New York Post and the TV section used to be on the back page. And the headline mm. was Tortorisi fired. And, uh, that's when Les Moonves took over. And, mm. you know, so we, after that, we were, had become an orphan, uh, at, at, at CBS and, you know, the show went off the air. I don't, it, it was always, you know, and I had so many friends out there and they ended up playing golf and stuff. Um, I, I don't, I advice. What's my advice? <laughs> Do what you can to earn a living. When I studied mm-hmm. with Win Hanman at one point mm-hmm. and that was his advice to me was basically, he said, it's a really hard business. Do what you can to earn a living. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say to younger actors. I think it's much harder now than when I started. Um, you know, you didn't need to be a TV or film star to work on Broadway or off Broadway or at the Manhattan Theater Club or at Playwrights Horizons, but now you kind of do. And so much stuff now is self-initiated. The kids have to, you know, tape themselves all the time and post on social media and, you know, we sat back and waited for our agents to call us and, and my, and when I started and you hope they would. Um, the business is very hard now. And, and, and also the quality of people who are acting now, I think is, is, you know, there, we had great actors in my time that I greatly admired, but everybody now is trained and, uh, multi-talented and, you know, it's, I, I don't know. What should I tell people who ask me if they move on? What What do you think I should say? <laughs> that uh, that uh, the fil- film and television business is so similar to Broadway. You never know if you have a hit. Yeah, that's that. Well, there you go. That's 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 true. Well, we had a rule of I had a rule of, I had a rule of thumb with my wife that if a show went beyond two years, we we would have to think about moving. But the <laughs> truth is, I would never have taken her out of her career. So. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I thought I was, uh, you know, uh, Alan Alda, I, you know, I was, uh, mm-hmm. I would travel back to New York on weekends. I actually did that. I would go back and forth all the time. And uh, I got to know the flight attendants and I would always fly with no luggage. I could just go back and forth, just get on the plane and go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I have to, I have to think about that. How'd you two meet? Was it love at first sight? Very early on. We've been together longer than anybody I have ever met. Uh, you know, we, we, we started, uh, we, we were together since 1971 or two. Mm. And um, what happened was when I got to New York uh, and I got that production of Charlie Brown, 
uh, right away. Uh, I also, I, just, just before Charlie Brown, I got offered a, a, a play called Who's Hungry? It was a Jewish family sitting around the table in the kitchen, and it was a pretty funny play. And uh, we we started to do uh, backers auditions to raise money for the show. And one of those auditions was on Park Avenue in a very fancy apartment. And um, I looked out into the audience and there was this beautiful <laughs> um, person sitting out there who was like stretching like a ballet dancer. <laughs> and it was distracting me. <laughs> and, and after the, um, the reading and I said like, you know, who was that? What's going, who was that? What's going on out there? She was with the author of the play. And uh, I said, are you guys, are you dating? What's going on? He said, no, no, no. She's just a friend. And uh, she's, she's interested in you. Mm. And I, I, by the way, when I stood up from the table, I noticed that she thought I was short. I could see her look, mm. look me up and down and decide that he's a little short. <laughs> But that's how we met. He said, she's interested in you. And I said, well, I, I would be kind of interested in her. And that's we, that's how we met. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Chip, great. you mentioned you on on, on a plane. And I, I just flashed back to you in United 93, which, <laughs> I mean, that yeah. is such an amazing movie. Of course, uh, so, yeah. so hard to watch. Yes. But, uh, but I would still advise anyone who hasn't seen it. This is about, in case you don't. Remember the mm. plane that was hijacked uh, on 9-11 and the one where the passengers revolted and it wound up crashing in a field in Pennsylvania, right? That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, rather than ending up in the in the Capitol or the Pentagon or whatever. Right. I think they were aiming at the exact, I think at the Pentagon. Um, yeah, I, you know, that also was uh, that that was directed by Paul Greengrass who was one of the loveliest people. We, we shot that movie in, in uh, outside of London. Hmm. Uh, and um, it, it, the Pinewood studios, which are sort of famous, I guess. Uh, oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it was really, and we, we all lived there and uh, he, he was uh, so, you know, I wondered how do we tell the story because we don't exactly know what happens really on the plane. I mean, we have, they have audio, they have telemetry, they have information. There were phone calls made from the plane to the, to the ground by family members. Um, but moment to moment, how do we really know what happened? And so we tried to be, you know, we rehearsed that for quite a while and, and um, we just did improvs. But what I really respected about Paul was that, uh, eventually he did much more out of the airplane on the ground with air traffic control. And, and so that he, you know, that it was really authentic. And yeah. if you remember that there was a, the nine 11 commission put out a big book and they, they were on the set. It was a, yeah, it was very, uh, again, just, a, it, it was a difficult thing to do. I actually, um, you know, we all talked to family members of the characters we were playing. Oh gosh! Um, and you know, it was interest. I mean, it was. You know, you felt a responsibility to tell the story as accurately as you possibly could. And I think there were other movies made about the airplane, some nine eleven crashing into the World Trade Center and stuff. But 
I think we tried really hard to do the best we could to honor those people who died. And, you know, we felt a real attachment to the families. And yeah. Yes. Night in 93. It's a very, very good movie and very difficult to watch. Interesting mix of people in it. Uh, Cheyenne Jackson. Yeah. uh, Kate Jennings Grant. Yeah. Lorna Dallas. uh, Richard Beacons. David Allen Bache. Yeah. Um, I I didn't know it was filmed in in Pinewood. That's interesting. Thanks for telling us that. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Kate and I, I, uh, Kate Jennings Grant, uh, we're good friends. And, um, (laughs) you know, the way that movie was made was that we were, I mean, I I was, I mean, you know, I was the first person who who, uh, was injured. And um, we think that he was dragged back into coach and the character that Kate Jennings Grant was playing as a paramedic. And, uh, she was tending to me. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, David Rashi, it was just, it was, we stayed at the same hotel. We all ate dinner together. We were in this plane all the, for hours and hours. They did long tracking shots where we would do 20 minutes. We the cameras would roll for 20 minutes. Really? And they yeah. would move the, the plane, the body of the plane that we were sitting in was on a hydraulic system and they could, they could, um, accurately because of the telemetry tilt and move the plane. Wow. Sweet. There's my dog. Could, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, they could move the plane accurately to the telemetry of the actual flight. Wow. So, so we were, you know, we were bobbing and weaving and the, we, you know, we, we would do 20 minute sequences and it was um, a, a very unusual, you know, f- film experience. Kip, I wanted to ask you one more question before you uh, head off to your day. You have a, sh- yeah. you're in a five show weekend. You have uh, the last uh, show of the weekend uh, this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, you talked about, uh, the television show that you thought was going to go that didn't go. What about uh, 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 a stage play or musical that you were involved with that you thought uh, should get a second look because it was so good and it just didn't work at the time? Do you have any that you could think of off the top of your head? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I'm thinking of short-lived shows. I mean, you know, it should have been you found. Uh, didn't You're working with Sierra Bogus again. Sierra and I have worked together a, a lot. We're very good friends. <laughs> we live on the same street. Um, we're, you know, she's played my trophy wife, my daughter, my wife, but, you know, it's <laughs> insane. You know, um, we're very good friends. Um, what, you know, I think like, you know, I was upset, really upset with people in the picture. Uh-huh. With Donna uh-huh. Murphy played the lead and it was not well received the particularly by the new york times mm-hmm. and i was i i was shocked i i mean i thought like uh, that the i i think you know the very few sh- it's really hard to write a show and shows are n- not necessarily perfect but they have moments that are beautiful and things in them that are worthwhile that's how i feel and and i thought people in the picture was one of those shows and it was it had problems, but it also had a great deal to offer and um, 
I remember, you know, Lou Stadlin, uh, the actor Lou Stadlin, who's also one of my close friends, was we were standing on the street and we we just were so upset. It was talking to the one of the producers, Tracy Aaron. We were standing in front of the theater saying, like, it's just, you know, uh, the, the New York uh, people were mean about it. And I, I, you know, so that, you know, and the other thing about showbiz is, you know, it's kind of personal. You, mm-hmm. you, uh, you try not to worry about the reviews and what people are saying about you, but you know, it's the, when I'm playing a character, I'm not trying to become someone else. I'm just trying to be me at whatever qualities I have that sort of line up with that character. So if somebody, uh, you know, it, it becomes personal to me. And it becomes painful. And uh, that was an example of it. That, that show didn't really didn't do well. Um, the the country girl with Morgan Freeman didn't didn't do well. Mike and Nichols. Mike Nichols, my gosh. And uh, you know, we struggled and 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 um yeah, I mean, you know, um it it's tough to give so much. It's it's an intimate experience to be in a show and and to share that um, show with your your colleagues and it's it, you know it can be it can be hurtful and uh, I I I've not um, you know I I, I I I've been in I've been hurt through the years I think many actors have and we all have it's part of it. And then you just keep going. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it can be very hurtful. I hate to leave. That sounds so sad. What am, where, where have I gone? <laughs> I just lost my mind. I, I'm not sad. Uh, Everything about it is appealing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's better to say it's not, it's not hurtful. It's just that it is an intimate experience. Uh, to be an actor and uh, mm. uh, uh, so so help me here, please, everybody <laughs> jump in. <laughs> sure. sure. There'll be and I, you know, well, the point is too. The, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, no. And well, the point is, is that I, I, I just feel, uh, you know, again, I, you know, I was uh, like at the, the 25th, the, no, it was the uh, 25th. It was the, it was sometimes 85th birthday. Or 80th birthday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I, you know, I was, I went to North Star Camp in Hayward, Wisconsin, and now I'm standing uh, in Lincoln Center on the stage with any, everybody, anybody would ever want to meet <laughs> singing like Stephen, like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, and uh, so, so, you know, there's been phenomenal, there's the highs are so high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every once in a while the laws are unpleasant that's all mm. i can, that that that's a better way to put it i think that's a great way to put it Chip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. eight times a week you get to stand on the stage and uh perform in harmony at the ethel barrymore theater which is happening right now chip i want to thank you so much for spending so much time with us on broader radio we really appreciate uh you visiting with us thank you so much i hope i made some sense uh, throughout our time together of course. <laughs> Thanks so much. Quite a bit. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. All right. Until then. Bye. Bye.
Okay, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's brain teaser? It was a musical that had one title during its two out-of-town tryouts and another by the time it reached Broadway. Despite the title change, it never lost having a title song because the composer lyricist who wrote the score had written two songs that just so happened to serve as this flop's title, no matter when anyone saw it. Well, we're talking about the 1966 musical of Breakfast at Tiffany's which was originally called Holly Go Lightly when it played Philadelphia and Boston, but changed to Breakfast at Tiffany's for its half-week-long Broadway run. Bob Merrill wrote an up-tempo tune for the former title, sung by Richard Chamberlain, and a ballad for the newer title, sung by Mary Tyler Moore. Paul Whitty was the first to get it, followed by Tony Janicki, Jack Leshner, David Robinson, J. Aubrey Jones, Angela Ramachi, and Brigadoon. This week's question... He had the 11 o'clock number, a solo, in a Tony-winning musical. Some years later, he appeared in a film version of a different Tony-winning musical, but in this movie, he didn't sing a note. (laughs) He later appeared many, many times in the leading role of yet another Tony-winning musical, not on Broadway, no, but on many a national tour. Who is he? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, we have two selections from Harmony from the original Broadway cast album. Um, It would have been natural to use the title song uh, because Chip Zion leads that song, but we actually used it a week or two ago when we reviewed the show. So our opener was the overture uh, from Harmony. Uh, and the closer is the that tour de force, which we discussed with him today, Threnody, which, uh, you know, I had to, I'll confess, I had to look it up. Threnody means lament. And it certainly applies to this incredibly powerful tour de force number that Chip sings very much towards the end of the show. Um, so I hope you enjoy these two selections. And if you have not already seen Harmony, I urge you to get to see it. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. He's on the train. The Fuhrer. I can't believe it. The Fuhrer? He's actually here. And he's coming this way. This isn't happening. I'm afraid it is. Rabbi, what are you doing? Sit down. For the love of God, Joe, sit down. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai This is your time. Do it! Do it! Nothing to it. Kill him! And it's over. So they kill you, so what? Doesn't matter, does it? No, yes, no! You can do it if you do it. It will change the world. You change everything. But no! Nothing! Nothing! You did nothing! And your punishment is to remain.
Everything.